You've heard that it's said that kids say the darndest things. Well, I heard a kid say one of the darndest things this week. Came out of the mouth of my youngest daughter. This is what she said. Dad, you're ruining my life. (laughs) Now keep in mind, these are not the words of a teenager. My youngest daughter is not a teenager. These are the words of a six-year-old. Where did she get these words? And wherever did she get such an idea that I am trying to ruin her life? I don't even recall the circumstances of her rant. There's a few possibilities. It was maybe when I asked her to turn the TV off. Or when I asked her to put her shoes on so that we could go to the store. Or maybe when I asked her to brush her teeth before she went to bed. Really oppressive things, right? No, these are instructions that all parents, wise parents, give to their children so that they won't ruin their lives or lesser things like their teeth or their brains on TV or their toes on the street without shoes on. These words are not intended to ruin a life, but to actually help one in their life. But according to my daughter, I was trying to ruin her life. Now let's face it. Sometimes our children find it hard to listen to us as parents. If you ever parented or if you're in the midst of it now, am I right on that? Sometimes they find it hard to listen to us. And don't you ever wish that you could somehow get across to them that you do actually know what you're talking about at least some of the time? Or don't you wish you could get across to them that you're not trying to ruin your life, that you actually have their best interest in mind, and that is why you're asking them to do what you are asking them to do? How can we get our children to listen? That's a parenting question. But we're not going to talk about parenting this morning. You see, the same question presents itself to us repeatedly in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1-9 to specifically, which is what we are doing, is trying to get us to listen. Trying to get us to listen to wisdom. And these chapters know that we're kind of like our children. We're wondering, does God's word really have my best interest at heart? If I listen and obey what God is telling me to say, will it ruin my life? You see, there's more to it than that. There are actually rival voices in our ears all of the time. We could boil them down to two, though, as we said on the first week of the series. 
There's the voice of folly, and there is the voice of wisdom. Last week, we were introduced to one of the manifestations of the voice of folly in a woman, a forbidden woman, who with her smooth, seductive, and enticing words was trying to get a young man to listen to her, promising to enrich his life if he would but follow her voice. But she was lying to him. And so as he followed her, she actually did ruin his life. In our chapter this morning, in Proverbs chapter 8, we have the voice of another woman. Lady Wisdom is what we might call her. The personification of wisdom. She too calls out and makes promises to enrich our lives if we will listen to her. I'd go so far as to say not only to enrich them, but to restore them and to repair them if we would but listen to them. But who should we listen to? It's not a real provocative question. We all know that we should listen to wisdom, just like our children really know that they should listen to their parents. But why? That's the question kids want to know. And that's the question that I want to deal with as well. Why should we listen to Lady Wisdom? Will she really enrich our lives? Can she restore our lives? Or will she ruin our lives? Proverbs chapter 8 reads like a resume. Wisdom, if I can put it this way, She is applying for the job of running your life. And she promises that if you'll let her, she will do it well. She will enrich your life. She will restore your life. But in this resume, she wants you to know that she does, in fact, know what she's talking about. And she does have your best interest at heart. And so in resume form, she puts forward her qualifications. Keep that metaphor in mind as we read this passage together. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? It's a long chapter, but I do want to read all of it at once. Beginning in verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. 
For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily... His delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me, injures himself. All who hate me, love death. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Do you see how this reads a little bit like a resume? All good resumes will tell us something about the person's character and their competence or their credentials. In other words, they will tell us that this person actually does know what they're doing and that they will do the job with integrity. This resume is no different. In the introduction, the first section of the poem in verses 1 to 11 we see that wisdom has impeccable character. Then in the body and the conclusion, the next two blocks of poetry, verses 12 to 36, we see that wisdom has incredible credentials. So impeccable character, incredible 
credentials, all designed so that we would put wisdom to work in our lives, that we would trust that she does not want to ruin our lives, but actually to enrich our lives and restore them. So let's look at her character and then her credentials. Character first. There are two things that I want to highlight about wisdom's impeccable character. The first comes out in verses 1 to 5. In these verses, we are really seeing the recipients. Think of your email. You're composing an email. These are all of the people in the two box. This is who the resume is going out to. The people that she believes could benefit from the services she has to offer. And her intended audience may surprise you a bit. When you think about the type of people who are wise, what comes to your mind? Sometimes I think we equate wisdom with intelligence. But notice in verses 1 to 5 that the people wisdom is sending her resume to are not simply the college-bound kids or the National Merit Scholar finalists. It's not only for the people with advanced degrees or with an impressive resume. Yes, wisdom has an impressive resume, but she is addressing anybody and everybody who is willing to learn from her. When you think of people with character, they are people who do not show partiality. And that's the first thing that we see about her character. Wisdom is impartial. What I mean by that is that she's available to anybody who is willing to learn from her. Now, where do I get that in the text? Look in verse 1. We see that she raises her voice on the heights beside the way. Wisdom is not secret knowledge. It's available for anyone. She is at the crossroads. That's where she takes her stand. So she goes and calls out where the traffic is heavy. At the busiest intersection in the town, that's where she's at. She is not in some cul-de-sac in a gated community. She is beside the gates in the front of the town where everybody comes into town, where everybody goes out of town. That's where she's advertising her services for hire. She cries out to the children of man, we are told. Literally, the sons of Adam. Which is who? Anybody and everybody who is willing to listen. She invites the simple to learn prudence. She even calls fools to learn sense. Her resume is not simply for the eggheads. It's not simply for the people that have their act together. Her invitation is to enrich and restore the life of anyone who is willing 
to listen to her? Do you need her services? Do you lack wisdom? If so, this is an open letter to this congregation right now. An invitation for you to listen to her. But why should you listen to her? That's our question, right? Why? That leads me to the second aspect of her impeccable character, and that is that wisdom is truthful. Truthful. This comes out in verses 6 to 11. It's set up as a contrast. Remember what we saw last week in chapter 7 with the forbidden woman who is speaking smooth words in the dark, telling lies. Not Lady Wisdom. She is speaking in the light of day at the middle of the town square and she is telling the truth. Look at verses 6 to 7 and notice the way she describes her words. Here, for I will speak noble things. From my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. She goes on to say that her words in verses 8 and 9, that they are righteous, that they are straight, that they are not crooked. There's a lot of enticing words out there in the world, but are they true? Or are they false and deceptive? Why should we listen to Lady Wisdom at the most foundational level? Because her words embody the very very character of God who never lies. She tells the truth. That's why we can trust her. It's interesting in verses 10 to 11, after establishing kind of the ethics of her language, She goes on to say that her instruction is better than silver, better than gold, and jewels. But I want you to notice something here. She doesn't tell us why they are better. At least not yet. At the end of her resume, she will tell us what she has to offer that is better than gold. For now, it's enough to know That from the overflow of her heart, her mouth speaks, and her heart is pure. So therefore, she speaks the truth in love. We've learned something about her impeccable character. Let's now take a look at her incredible credentials. If we want to know why we should listen to wisdom... We need to know that she's trustworthy, but we also need to know that she can get the job done. Does she know what she's talking about? Does she know what she's doing? Can we call on her references? Maybe another way to think about it. What has she done for others is one question, and what can she do for us? With our remaining time, I want to look at two things that she's done for others and then land with what she says she can do for us. First, for others. Wisdom 
has been used by righteous rulers and the rich. I think on the screen I just have used by the rulers and the rich. But specifically this text draws out those who are righteous rulers, those who have gained their riches through righteous means. This is in the next 10 verses, verses 12 to 21. Notice in verse 12, she says, I wisdom dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. When she says she dwells with prudence, what she's saying is I'm a tactical ninja. She, she's saying, how many of you guys have read David Allen, Getting Things Done? She's saying, I make David Allen look like a mini-me. I really can get things done at the highest level. That's, that's what that word prudence means. It's, it's cunning. It's tactical ability. But we've got to bear in mind she has impeccable character. She hates evil, we're told. She hates pride and perverted speech. So she carries out her work of getting things done with character, but it's still strong and effective. So strong, so effective, that the people at the highest levels of society have put her to work. Kings, rulers, princes, governors. But notice she mentions that it's only those who rule justly who have contracted with her. Only those who govern justly. There are all kinds of people who are in places of leadership and ruling that have never even met wisdom. They would do well to meet her. They have got where they have got through deception, through lies, through evil. But anyone who's ever ruled in righteousness contracted with wisdom to get the job done. But not only does wisdom associate with kings and princes, she also associates with the rich. She associates with, as we read in verses 18 and following, riches and honor, wealth and righteousness. Those who gain wealth through godly means, she's with them. So her resume, this is what she's doing here. She's saying, the rulers, the wealthy, I've worked with them. The most powerful and affluent people in the world. But isn't it interesting to bear in mind who she's sending her resume out to? It's not to the people in the highest positions exclusively. It's to anybody and to everybody who is willing to listen to her. More specifically, we're told, to anybody and everybody who loves her. Oh, there's the catch. Notice the way this section in verse 17 begins and the way it ends in verse 21. You can circle the repeated word. Wisdom loves those who love her. She enriches the lives of those who love her. While wisdom and its benefits are available to anyone, not everyone will gain wisdom. Not everyone will be enriched by her because some people don't love her. 
They don't like her way. They think it's too hard. It doesn't promise instant gratification all of the time. Chapter 7. The forbidden woman seduces the young man with easy sex. With fast gain. And it cost him his life. But that's what he loved. Here, wisdom is calling us to love her and to love her ways. She's promising that if we do, our lives will be enriched. But again, notice in verse 19, she's giving us a clue as to what she means by riches. She goes on to say that the way she enriches our lives involves more than money. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. But again, she doesn't tell us what it is that makes it better just yet. She's keeping us in suspense, maybe so we'll keep reading, or maybe so you'll keep listening to this sermon. So wisdom's first credential has to do with her association with righteous rulers and the rich in our day. Her second credential has to do with a job she had back in the day before time even began. It is her foundational credential that should get everybody's attention if they're really listening to this section of the resume. You see, wisdom is not only associated with rulers and the rich. Wisdom is associated with God Himself. It's not as if wisdom has been job hopping over to the rulers, over to the rich, over to these people. No, she's been working with God since the beginning and is continuing to work with Him to this day. So here's the third credential. Wisdom was used by God in creation. This comes out in verses 22 to 31. Before the world began, God possessed wisdom. Wisdom is an attribute of God. And so I think at a minimum, that's what's being referred to here when it says God possessed wisdom. In the beginning, God is, as First Timothy says, all powerful, all wise. And so wisdom was with God before he ever created the universe, before the depths were brought forth. Verse 24, wisdom was there. Verse 25, before the mountains were formed, wisdom was brought forth. Before he made the earth, wisdom was there. But then, As God got to work in creating the world, wisdom was right by his side. Verse 27, as he made the heavens. 28, the skies. 29, the seas. As he marked off the earth, wisdom was beside him, we read. So before God created and beside God as he created, wisdom was right there. 
This means that God's wisdom was at work in creating the world. What's the implication? Why should that matter for us as we read this resume? We need wisdom at work in our life if we're going to know how to live in the world. Because wisdom was at work as the world leaped into existence. Wisdom knows how the world works best. Wisdom knows how your life works best. You need to lend her your ear. In other words, in case you're still wondering, wisdom does know what she's talking about. Her credentials are solid. But that's not all. Wisdom also has our best interests at heart. And I want you to see this. I've actually preached on this passage before and I did not catch this my first go-round. I want you to catch it. There's movement in verses 22 to 31. Movement that lands in a surprising place A surprising place that teaches us that wisdom not only knows what she's talking about, but she has our best interests in heart. Notice it starts with the time before creation, verses 22 to 23. Then in 24 to 26, before the mountains, etc. Before God formed and filled the heavens and the earth. Then it moves In verses 27 to 29, to the actual forming and filling of all of the things in the heavens and the earth. In other words, it's walking us through the days of creation. And what comes at the end of creation? You know your Bibles? The creation of man. The climax and the pinnacle of creation. So in verses 30 to 31, we expect to hear about the creation of man. But notice what happens in verses 30 and 31. The poem moves from description of creation into celebration. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Wisdom has been describing in the previous verses what it was like when God used her to create the heavens and the earth. But when she gets to the creation of the children of man, she modulates her song. She erupts in praise. She delights and rejoices. She rejoices, we're told again, and delights for emphasis. Why does this matter? This move in the poetry, this conclusion to this creation hymn, why does it matter? It matters because wisdom is letting us know that she not only knows what she's talking about, but she cares about us. She actually wants what's best for us. When she describes the creation of man, she says, I am filled with delight and with joy. 
I love those who love me. That's one of the reasons she deserves our attention. She has credentials, but she also has character. Therefore, we can trust her. Let's look now at wisdom's final credential. We've seen what she's done for others, but what can she do for you? We've heard throughout this passage that she has something to offer that's better than the rich stuff. Gold, silver, and jewels. I believe we're told what that thing is that is better in verses 32 to 35. Let's look at those verses again. She says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. So it's blessing. But what is blessing? She goes on to tell us in verses 35 and 37. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. There it is. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. In other words, the final credential is that wisdom leads to eternal life and favor. What's better than riches? Life. In almost all of the chapters that we've looked at so far in Proverbs, the promise of life is held out to those who will follow wisdom. And remember, life is not simply speaking of the length of days, it's dealing with the quality of our life. And I believe that on the whole of Scripture, the life that is being spoken of here in Proverbs is eternal life. Knowing God. And the abundant life that flows out of knowing God. It's life in right relationship with God. Life in right relationship with other people. Life in right relationship with our work and the world that God has created. Do you want that? Proverbs is telling us if we will listen to her that this is better than the riches that this world has to offer. This is better than even being at the highest positions of power in the food chain of this life. Having life. She says she's competent to give it, but how is it possible? I think it's found in the next line. Whoever finds me finds life. So Hebrew poetry kind of the, the, the next line is going to inform the first line. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. That word favor means the Lord is pleased with us. How is it possible for us to gain favor and thus to gain life, eternal life? It comes through wisdom. That's what she's been saying. You're thinking, how does that work? Well, I think we have to get something really important at this juncture in the sermon. Wisdom 
is not simply a principle for how to live your life. Wisdom is personified as a person. Lady Wisdom, I believe, points to the person of Christ, whom 1 Corinthians tells us is the very wisdom of God. And it makes sense, doesn't it? We've been told that wisdom is being used in creating the world. But then we come to the New Testament and we read that there is nothing that was made that was not made by Jesus. Through Him, the Word of God, the Word who was with God, the Word who was God, through Him all things were made that were made. He's God's agent in creation. So he's the one that we need to listen to and follow if we want to know how to live in this world. But more importantly, he's the one that we need to look to if we want to find life and God's favor, which is better than what the world has to offer. Colin Smith, friend and a pastor in the Chicagoland area, says this about Jesus. The craftsman that was involved in the creation became a carpenter. And that carpenter was nailed to a wooden cross where he paid the penalty for our sins. It is through him, Jesus, the wisdom of God, and him alone that we find life and the favor of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And like Lady Wisdom, he is impartial He sends out his resume to anyone and to everyone who's willing to listen. That means even to you and even to me. John 3.16 says, Whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the wisdom of God and we can trust him because he tells us the truth. In fact, he is the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. Only through Him can we come to the Father. Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's the one we need to run our lives. And we should know that He knows what He's talking about because He's God and He is the one who created the world And as Hebrews tells us, he is even now sustaining the universe by the word of his power. He can run your life just fine. And you should be able to trust him because he clearly has your best interest in mind. He proved it on a cross, dying for your sin. Jesus calls you to listen to him. He calls you to come to Him. But notice the way He does it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I mean, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. He doesn't want to ruin your life. And He's proven Himself. He has impeccable character, incredible credentials. He has what it takes to run your 
life. Will you let him have the job? He won't ruin it. He loves you. The question before you this morning is do you love him? If you love him, you will obey him. You will listen to him. You will observe all that he has commanded. His words in the gospel, the red letter ones, but all of the other ones as well, including the words in the book of Proverbs. There are many voices in the world. All of them lead to death except one, the voice of wisdom, the voice of God's word, the voice of God's son. This is the voice that leads to life. The voice that's inviting you to listen. Let's pray. Father, open our ears that we may hear. That we may believe. That your word is best and that your word is good for us. We pray that you would impress upon us your great love for us so that we might in turn love you, love wisdom, love your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.